0: Okay, good morning, everyone. Uh, It's good to be with you in Central. Um, During the course of the last uh, week, I got a text from my younger daughter, Hannah, and the text included a photograph of her electricity bill, and beside it was the comment, this can't be right. It was almost three times the same period of time last year, and uh, her reaction was, well... Surely this couldn't be right. I went into a lengthy explanation about what has been happening in the country, etc., and why it might possibly actually be correct, and so on and so forth. And anyway, that was it. But it got me thinking when she sent me the text, and it said in the text, This can't be right, that that's exactly how we should feel when we hear the sayings of Jesus that we call the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This can't be right, can it? That should be our initial reaction to all of these statements of Jesus. The point is that it isn't usually. I mean, these are the sayings of Jesus, so you never would think about, well, that can't be right, can it? No, no, you sort of think something completely different. You say, well, this is very spiritual. And therefore, it's got to have some other meaning other than the meaning it appears to have on the surface. You would never think of saying, this couldn't be right. The point about the Beatitudes is that in normal, everyday terms, they're crazy, they're nuts, they're daft. And that should be our reaction. Commenting on these verses um, that we're looking at over these Sundays, N.T. Wright says this, God is acting in and through Jesus to turn the world upside down, to pour out lavish blessings on all who turn to him and accept the new thing that he is doing. Jesus is doing something new. He is in the process of turning the world upside down, and therefore these sayings that we call the Beatitudes are not nice sayings. They are not deeply spiritual things. They are Jesus turning the world upside down. N.T. Wright says the Beatitudes are, quote, a summons to live in the present in the way that will make sense in God's promised future. You notice it makes sense in God's promised future. It does not make sense in the here and now. And that future arrived in Jesus of Nazareth and is coming in fullness when Jesus comes back. We can see it sort of, but it's not completely here yet. Saturday week ago, I I think I may have said the last time I was here, I bought myself a motorbike. I hadn't been on a motorbike for 35 years. So it has taken me a few months to learn my craft, to kind of get the controls back into some sort of fashion where I'm not going to burn the clutch out in the first three months of ownership and kind of get control of the bike. And Saturday week ago, I went out for a ride with, with four other people. Okay, one of the, I, When I got the bike, I watched a YouTube video about uh, being a born-again biker. And the very first thing that the person on the video said was, if you are a born-again biker, the one thing you should never do is go out riding with other people. They're almost certainly of higher competence levels than you, and it would be a very bad idea. So up until last Saturday, I hadn't done it, but I'm thinking to myself, yeah, it's okay. These are people from Carnmoney Money Church. They'll be really well-behaved. It'll be fine. Okay. And it was for 75% of the time I'd have to say that the 120 miles we rode the fastest ride I've ever had on a motorcycle in my life. I was barely hanging on at stages. But one of the things that happened during the ride was there was a young guy there, the son of one of the people that I was riding with. He was on a bike that was actually similar to mine. It's a Yamaha bike. It's, it's, it, it, it's the same engine, the same frame. It's just his was naked where mine is a tour and has a little bit of protection from the elements. Okay? So it's the same bike, same performance. At one stage we were coming down a road of, 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 of beautiful S-bends and he came flying around me like I was standing still and I watched him and followed him through the next three or four bends and the lean angles of the bike were incredible. I was no way going to attempt that. But by following him around in a machine that strictly speaking has exactly the same capabilities as what he's on, I'm looking at the future Definitely not the present, but with a little bit more practice and some more courage, I might get close to what I just watched Paul do around this corner. And in a kind of a way, that's what we're talking about here in the Beatitudes. We can see that future. We can see in a degree what the kingdom of God is like. We experience it to some degree in faith, but it's not quite here yet. It's, it's, it's Paul on the MT-07, 200 yards up the road in front of me. But I can see it and I can think, yeah, maybe I could get there. And that's what the Beatitudes are doing. They're encouraging us to live in that way. So what is today's shock tactic from the lips of Jesus? Today's shock tactic is, blessed are the the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Two questions. What does it mean to be meek? Well, it would seem that there is no direct English equivalent for the word Matthew uses in Matthew chapter five verse five. okay? That's Matthew's words, not Jesus' word. Jesus would have spoken these sayings in Aramaic, not in Greek. So Matthew is interpreting what Jesus said, and he's chosen a word. And there is no direct equivalent of that word in English, but the consensus of most of the commentators, Those who write on it is that in David Bentley Hart's translation, he gets it pretty much right when he translates like this, how blissful the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Closest we can get to the word that is usually translated make is the word gentle, the idea of gentleness. And in exalting that virtue, Jesus is exalting a virtue that no one else found very significant. Some of the older commentaries say it wasn't a virtue in in, in the Greek mindset, but actually it was. Aristotle, amongst others, writes about it. It was a virtue, but it wasn't one of the virtues that people talked about an awful lot. But Jesus exalts it to a much more significant place, not just here in the Beatitudes, but elsewhere when he uses the term about himself. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, Jesus is, is uh, encouraging people to come to him and follow him, and he says this, you may remember, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And the translation of gentle or gentleness makes sense to a degree because initially we recoil from the idea of meekness because in our mind, The idea of meekness is an idea of subservience and passivity in a way that is not something we would normally want to be. And when we think of meek, that's what we think of. But gentleness is different, isn't it? It's not quite the same idea. Take the crocodile. A female crocodile can carry up to 15 babies in her mouth. Those same jaws in which she carries those 15 children, can exert 3,700 pounds per square inch in a bite. To give you something to compare it to, the best you can do with a bit of steak is about 200 PSI. The crocodile gets to 3,700 PSI in one bite. And yet in those same jaws, this creature can carry 15 young. Because you see, gentleness is something that only the strong can really do. Gentleness is not a function of weakness. It is a function of strength. And so, for example, if my youngest grandchild, Ollie, puts his hand out and takes my hand like he did the other day, sometimes you would barely notice the touch. That's not really gentleness in the same way it is, in the same way that it would be if Lisa takes my hand. Because if she takes my hand, it's an adult with a grip like a vice sometimes. And when she takes my hand and I barely feel the touch, I experience gentleness. I only experience gentleness as a function of strength, not a function of weakness. And so when we talk about gentleness, and when Jesus is speaking about the gentle, he is talking about people who are not weak, who are strong, but who moderate who discipline, who control and manage that strength to create something amazing that is gentleness. And who exemplifies that more than the speaker who first spoke these words? There's a line from a Graham Kendrick song. I know, we don't sing Graham Kendrick anymore. He's no longer cool. But there is an amazing line in one of his songs that goes like this. Hands that flung stars into space to cruel meals surrendered. It's the gentleness that comes from strength. And that's who Jesus is. Jesus was not pathetic. He was gentle. He was meek, if you like, but with this sense. A choice he kept on making that formed a habit and an aspect of character, a demeanor that shows itself in all his actions. You are not gentle in your head, You are gentle in your hands and on your tongue. It is an outward reality. And and gentleness, when it is present, tends to bring other graces with it. It tends to be associated with things like humility, patience, quietness. Or as Lisa and I were talking about in the car coming down today, slowing down, taking time. Gentleness goes along with those things. In fact, in his first letter, Peter asks a question about what real beauty consists of. What does real beauty look like? He lived in an age that was no different from our own, in which people tended to look at appearance when they, th- they thought about the idea of beauty. And in his first letter, in this particular section, he's talking to women, so he talks about all the things used as adornments, hairstyles, jewelry, clothes, clothes. And then he says this. That, that's what is usually marked as a sign of beauty. Rather, he says, beauty should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Gentleness. Jesus says that's what we are aiming at here, the gentle, those who are strong but who discipline themselves, who manage themselves, who contain and control themselves to apply that strength to the weakness and needs of others. This is the beautiful life, Peter says. Not the one that appears through jewelry and clothing and makeup or whatever else it happens to be but this gentle spirit expressing itself in how you relate to other people. Blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. Second question, why will the meek inherit the earth, or how will the meek inherit the earth? Understanding what meekness or gentleness means doesn't help us entirely with Jesus' assertion. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5 in J.B. Phillips' translation goes like this. Happy are those who claim nothing (coughs) for the whole earth will belong to them. Really? Like, how would that even happen? Or why would that even be possible? Well, in the first instance, this idea which we have here that happier are those who claim nothing for the whole earth will belong to them didn't originate with Jesus. It originated with another king altogether. In the 37th Psalm, David says this, verse 11, the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. So this was an idea in the Old Testament Psalms and Jesus lifts it and uses it again in this section that we call the Beatitudes. And this is an interesting assertion in the psalm because it comes in a psalm in which David is encouraging us not to get worked up about how well evil people seem to be doing. That's how the psalm starts. Don't fuss yourself about the fact that people who live scandalously evil lives, who just dictate and walk over everybody else, get everything they want. Don't worry about them because, David says, the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. Really? How will that be? And it is because the Lord is at work in a different direction. Here are all these people looking out for themselves, walking over everybody else to get to the top of the pile. But God is moving in an entirely different direction. And that is the hint that David has, and it's what Jesus is referring to here. He is doing something that works in an entirely different way. Those of you who are unfortunate enough to support Manchester United, God love you all. Can look back on those amazing days when Alec Ferguson was there and everything, in the garden was rosy, and can remember that amazing season, may even have the t-shirt, you know, you never win anything with kids. And and this just stood out so much against the trend. Manchester United didn't appear to be doing very well. And what did Ferguson do? He lifted all these kids out of, the, out, out, out of the training school and put them into the first team. And you know what happened after that, season after season after unbearable season of them winning everything. It was possible to win. He didn't go out into the market and buy experienced players and make a big song and dance about it. He worked with a bunch of kids, turned them into something different. God is working on an entirely different agenda. He's not at all impressed with these people who walk over the top of everyone else to get everything that they want. God is working in a different direction. He is doing something different. And because of that, and only because of that, gentleness wins. Because of God. That translation of J.B. Phillips, happy are those who claim nothing for the whole earth will belong to them. The whole earth will belong to them. God is doing something different. And here's what Paul says about himself and those who work with him in 2 Corinthians 6. Sorrowful, he says, but always rejoicing. Poor, yet making many rich, having nothing, and yet possessing everything. Something weird is going on in the world. And it is not the direct result of abilities that belong to the gentle. It is that the gentle have placed themselves somehow or another in the way of a new thing that God is doing. And because God is doing it, it works out completely differently. It is absurd, and yet it is true. Gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. It is the nurturing in our lives of the beauty of the Savior. And when you give yourself to this nurturing, you leave outcomes with the Lord. The Spiritual Formation Bible comments on these verses like this. Jesus is here contrasting the two ways to blessedness. The kingdom way of pure gift from God. And the fleshly way of human attainment. There are two ways To find blessedness. One is to use all your energies, all your powers, all your abilities and all your opportunities and privileges and walk over the top of everybody else to get to the place you want to be. The other is to learn to live the gentle life, to nurture the character of the Savior in your own heart and allow God to do something you never thought was possible in the first place. Clue is in the verse. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We're talking about an inheritance here. In the old authorized version translation of the words of Paul, there's a memorable summary of what an inheritance is like. An inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away. There is an inheritance that you can come into that cannot be destroyed. Rust cannot rust it. Decay cannot destroy it. It is something that you come into because it's an inheritance, not something that you earn yourself, something that you come into. And when you come into it, nothing can destroy it. Nothing in this world can take it away from you. Nothing can devalue it, undermine it, or make it worthless. It is an inheritance that you are given. Every month, a small sum of money, a few hundred pounds, drops into my bank account. And it's there because of nothing whatsoever to do with me. It is a small pension that is the result of the fact that my wife worked for social services for all her life and had a pension from that. And after she passed away, a pension came to me. and Every month, those few hundred pounds drop into my bank account. I didn't do anything to earn them. I never saved for them. I never worked for them. They were absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with me. They are absolutely and entirely the result of gift. They are an inheritance. Because someone died, and because they died, I got something that was never mine in the first place. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Here's the thing. Cultivating the gentle life puts you in the context of gift. It places your life in a circumstance where you constantly find you come into things that are not yours. You have resources that you did not contribute to. You have an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away because you live the gentle life. Not because the gentleness itself does these things, but because the gentleness places you in a situation where you can receive the gift of God. So where would you rather be? No great shakes getting to the top of the tree. Ask Les Truss about that. But you can get there if you want. You get the right kind of motivation. You have the right kind of killer instinct. You can get there okay. And everything you have will be yours. Won't that be exciting? You can lose it in the twinkling of an eye. Alternatively, you can learn to live the gentle life and come into this incredible context of gift where things come your way that are not yours but they cannot be taken off you. And no matter who you are, no matter what circumstances your future life brings you into, you live in the context of gift. Life becomes a matter of gratitude, of giving thanks for things that you didn't earn and you didn't make and you don't really deserve. But you placed yourself in that context because you allowed through the work of the Spirit in your heart that character of Jesus to be formed in your life and you turn your strength into gentleness and all of a sudden God is everywhere, all about the things you do in your relationships, in your hopes, ambitions and dreams. You can see it down the road. Paul grills on that bike 200 yards in front of me and I think I can get there someday. I can see that it's there. The inheritance is there. And now i just got to live that way.